The world is becoming increasingly proficient at telling stories that deny God. As such, we need Thinking Christian to become as natural as breathing. Welcome to the Thinking Christian Podcast. I'm Dr. James Spencer. Through calm, thoughtful, theological discussions, Thinking Christian highlights the ways God is working in the world and questions the underlying social, cultural, and political assumptions that hinder Christians from becoming more like Christ. Now, on to today's episode of Thinking Christian. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Thinking Christian, where I'm going to be continuing my interview with Emerson Egrich, and we're just going to continue talking about love and respect and marriage, and uh, hopefully this will be an enriching conversation for all of you. I know it certainly was for me. So without further ado, here's today's episode. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, We're here uh, talking about love and respect, and uh, I left off just asking the question. So I know, again, when my wife and I went through this, and uh, I, I hope it's okay. I'm getting uh, sort of your take on on how my wife and I experienced this, but I, I was hoping it'd be kind of an interesting way to walk through the book. Um, I remember specifically thinking to myself, okay, if we're going to do the love and respect thing, we're, if we're really going to work on me loving her and her respecting me, part of what I'm going to need to do is try to figure out how to manage my feelings when I feel disrespected. I know she's trying to respect me, and so I need to, on some level, figure out how to, um, yeah, just control myself, not to react, um, but to be a little bit more um, maybe bounded in my own emotions, right, so that I wasn't always just sort of responding with a lack of love, but that I was recognizing her intent and her desire to respect me, even if I felt disrespected. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's a sign of your maturation and, and uh, your godliness that to, to really want to make that a focus. Some people don't. They'll hear the crazy cycle. Without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love. And they'll assign blame. We wouldn't get on the crazy cycle if you were more respectful. Well, we wouldn't get on the crazy cycle if you were more loving. And once we start <laughs> pointing fingers, once you start pointing fingers, then then as I always say, you're, you're probably more the reason for the problems in the marriage because your whole mindset is blame-placing and self-justification. And the first yeah. sin after the first sin with Adam and Eve was, was uh, blame-placing. Adam says, the woman you gave me. He only knew two beings, uh, Eve and the Lord, and he blamed both of them in one sentence for his sin. And then she blames mm-hmm. the serpent. And so mm-hmm. the first sin after the first sin is blame-placing, and we're geniuses at this. I'm a genius at being able to blame Sarah. Uh, she's she is responsible for my my lack of love and but once you go down that road and you recognize it that's not going to go anywhere it's just going to put them on the defensive and we're just going to spin on the crazy cycle more and more at the same time how do i deal with those emotions to your question now when you know she she in fact was disrespectful she said something you know you're just like your father you know i mean and it came out and she knew it was wrong but she said it anyway or you know well you're just like your mother (laughs) So and we and we and, right. and we get and we get nasty, you know. I mean, Sarah once chased me around the house with my love and respect book, pointing the finger, saying, "What would you say to her husband treating his wife the way you're treating me right now?" And I said, "That's not fair. I just wrote the book. I don't do this stuff." No. So you know, we all have we have these moments where you know we just want to blame and we want to point fingers, and you're saying, "Hey, you know what? I knew that wasn't healthy." And, and I always say, we're not going to do this perfectly. And so there's got to be kind of given some grace, but not too much grace. Some of us can take advantage of that and justify our mm-hmm. own negativity. But now to your question, 
there comes a moment when Sarah and I, and this is one of our axioms, and the axiom is this, my response is my responsibility. My response is my responsibility. And we've locked into that. And then the, 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 it continues, my response is my responsibility. Sarah does not cause me to be unloving. She reveals me as unloving. It's my choice. Apart from physical torture on a cross, for instance, I mean, the Lord's going to give sure. me some grace if I scream at Sarah as she whacks a nail through me, okay? But almost <laughs> all, all marital conflict is social ostracism. All it is is social ostracism. It's an emotional, social issue that is not the result of some evil individual. It's the result of our spouse that we're committed to and actually uh, most of the time, you know, enjoy. So now we have this conflict where she's dissing me or it feels that way. So how do I contain my emotions? Well, I've got to lock into this idea that she doesn't cause me to be this way. This is my issue. Even though it's affecting me, she's not controlling me. And in fact, I'm really free. I'm free. I am free. Sarah does not control me. And at first I was intimidated by that. But as I've meditated over the years on this, my response and my responsibility, it means I'm free. Sarah can't control me. She can affect me, but she can't control me. So it's my choice. And that became tremendously intimidating at first, but tremendously liberating later on. So once we lock into that, then I can say to Sarah, and I've said many times, honey, if I was like Jesus, if I was perfect, if I could walk on water, but I can't. And I'm not saying this as an excuse. I'm reacting negatively here. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling like that was said disrespectfully to me. I, I need some help here. If I was like Jesus, bullets would bounce off me like candy. <laughs> bullets would bounce <laughs> off me like candy. But I'm not like Jesus, and I need some help here. But that kind of t tone and that kind of language mm -hmm. then softens her a little bit. I'm saying, I'm struggling with what just happened here. Can you help me with my feelings? And we've got a, a basic law, of, a rule of engagement, we call it. She doesn't dismiss me by saying, well, that's just because you're so unchristlike. You're such a childish individual. She does not come back at me and tell me I ought not to feel that mm. way. So one yeah. of the rules of engagement we've had is we trust the spirit of the other person, given that they're not pointing fingers. I'm saying, I wish I could be perfect. But here's what what, what you just said or what just happened here. I, I, I'm just telling you, I'm vulnerable. I shouldn't be vulnerable. I wish I was not vulnerable. But I am, and I even wrote the book, okay? And so, too, Sarah <laughs> on the other side can say, you know, I was, you know, I, this, this, this felt so unloving to me. I can't believe that you're not listening to me. What? <laughs> I, I can't believe you're not listening to me. I try to joke, and that doesn't go over too well. So there is this <laughs> tension, though, where she then gives voice to this. You're an honorable man. I, I, I think I, I show you respect as much as I can, but can you help me right now? And I don't say to her, oh, grow up. No, we, we don't do that. So we've, we've tried to then allow for the other to give voice to that vulnerability. The other doesn't pass judgment. So if two people together, like you and your wife, are doing that, um, it just works. It just is powerful and it works. But it's a real tribute to you that you're saying, you know what? I was still personalizing some of this, but I knew I had to control it. So now my question to you, James, what did you do? How did you proceed on this based on some of the information I just divulged? It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about it. If you didn't have access to a Bible or were even allowed to have one, this is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. 
For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my book, Christian Resistance. Simply text THINKING to 71326 to help today. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G. Or visit give.crew.org backslash thinking. Again, that's give.cru.org backslash thinking. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Tell me what you did. Yeah, you know what's funny? I I think a lot of this emerged for me out of work. And so at the time we were sort of going through your book and um, trying to work on these things in my in our marriage, I was also going through some executive coaching. And uh, that executive coach was really trying to get me to interact with colleagues and um, the people that I was overseeing differently. And, uh, you know, I, I got a hold of, uh, while we were reading your book, I also read Failure of Nerve um, by, uh, I'm blanking on the gentleman, uh, Friedman, uh, Edwin Friedman. And, you know, he talks about self-differentiated leadership and uh, understanding where you be, you end and other people begin, you know, creating those sort of emotional boundaries so that other people's emotions aren't uh, impacting you. And as I started practicing at work, what I realized was, and, and like I said, these were overlapping moments, I started to realize I don't do this at home. Like everything my wife was doing was affecting me. And I wasn't giving her any space not to affect me. And so mm. I think, you know, your, your sort of mantra there of, um, you know, I'm responsible for my response is something I just sort of, sort of tripped into. Um, and recognizing that I really just needed to be transparent about how I was feeling or if I needed to take a moment from the conversation because I knew it wasn't going to go well, I'd ask for it. Uh, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm ready to have this conversation right now. Could you give me 10 minutes and I'll, we can circle back to it. You know, mm-hmm. I would really try that. I, I was a little bit more, um, I think just in general, I was a little bit hotter than my wife, you know, I was a little more prone to anger. And so I would get on the defensive and I would get angry. I wasn't mean, but I was definitely winning the fight. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and That's I was right. trying to win the fight. And and so I needed to get out of that moment where I was feeling defensive and really wanted to win the fight and recognize that my wife was not my enemy, that that the Mm -hmm. only way to win the fight was for us to end on the same page together, not for me to get her to where I wanted her to be, you know. And so I I think that practice of taking the break 
and my wife allowing me that time to just kind of take a moment and like process and, you know, de decompress a bit and then come back around to the situation was probably the best thing that we did. Um, definitely the best thing I did. And now I find that my interval for that is much shorter. Um, since I've practiced it over the years, it's just, you know, it's moved from like 10 minutes to maybe two minutes, you know, and if I really need to take a minute, I can take just a minute and be back and ready to go. And so it, it's a habit that I think has really paid off from a character perspective over the years of our marriage. No, I think that's absolutely outstanding because it, it's exactly what I recommend due to what I'd referenced earlier. When we get into a heated exchanges with our wives, the, the heartbeats of the man gets to 99 beats per minute. She can't yes. imagine this. She can't imagine. Well, because we're warriors. We're, we're the one that, 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 uh, physiological reactions what comes over us when we throw ourselves in front of someone who's trying to hurt our wives you know she's gonna she's not gonna have that same protective impulse it's just in us and so when that gets triggered then our heartbeats get to 99 beats per minute we're in warrior mode we don't consciously think that's what's going on we just know i i this thing's going to escalate if i don't disengage it's going to get out of control we did that with our buddies when we were younger and what we do (laughs) when we're younger you know, we get into this heated moment where we say, drop it, forget it. And we walk away from each other because the relationship is more important than the issue on the table. That's just part of the honor code. And this is part of what I give voice to that women don't understand that two sisters come at each other because they need to bring it what they call full circle. And they feel very comfortable in the ocean of emotion. The University of Washington refers to it as. And so they'll start talking and venting. And it looks like they're going to get into a fight. And then the one says, well, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. No, I was really horrible. I was really bad. Will you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. But will you forgive me? Yes, I do. And then, then they'll hug. And then they'll wipe away the tears. And then one is witty. She'll say something. The other's laughing. And they're just having a great time until tomorrow when it happens again. And so there is this, this uh, comfort. And so they can't imagine why you and I would just walk away. And so to them, that feels so unloving. It feels like, you know, fingernails down a chalkboard. It's just so... It's just beyond comprehension of them. So you, one, got in tune with your need to do that. If she gave you the grace to do that, and I say to women, you've got to let him do that. Now, what happens with some men, they say, well, once I'm calmed down, I don't need to talk about it. No, no, she needs to talk about it. So <laughs> right. now you've got to come back. And, and But I always say, come back after 15 <clears throat> minutes, uh, and but keep it on one point, because ladies, you're going to want to say one more thing, because now he's listening to you. He's calmed down. He's been he's open with you. And one more thing. This is not yeah. this is not when you pile on. Keep it to the one issue and then see this not as duration, but as frequency. If you allow the man to feel like this works, then he'll come back tomorrow again for 15 minutes. But if he feels like this is going to go on now for the next hour and a half while you feel you've got his attention and I can just dump because I've been sitting on this for three weeks and I can't sit on it anymore. I'm going to explode. <laughs> and this is the common expression of women. And it is, there is a physiological buildup in her, but it comes out through talking with the man she loves. So she can be reassured that he apologizes. Everything's good. She feels connected. She's back in the presence and life is good. Okay. But you, what happens if you do too much of that during that conversation, he'll just say, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. And so we, we encourage, you know, I coach people on this, but apart from that point, I think coming back to your, your idea, that's exactly right. Once we have that break and now we begin to realize, wait a minute, she's not my enemy. We are allies. And I, I, I say to people, we've got to remind each other, look, we don't like each other maybe right now, but we're allies. We're friends. We're not enemies. And we're not, right. we're not here to nuke each other. We're not, 
Let's not go nuclear. That's not going to make any point other than just devastate the other person. And so yeah. Sarah and I will remind, remember, we're allies here. We're on the same team. Uh, we, we have a difference here. We don't like each other at this moment, but that's just a minor issue compared to the larger issue that we're teammates and we're just arguing about how we're going to score the next basket. And so that, that <laughs> right. metaphor is very important, particularly for men. But I think, you know, you are to be applauded for having discerned this and acted on this. If, if I could coach every man, this would be one of the major areas I'd coach him on that you've discovered and then help her give him that break. Because what happens, many wives chase him around the house. You talk to me. Don't you walk away from me. And this just <laughs> provokes him. Because this is not what his buddy does. His buddy doesn't say, hey, James, come back here and talk to me. <laughs> that's, right. that's, never, that's never happened in the history of the world. So, <laughs> no. so it's, it's foreign to him, and he doesn't understand this. And But once we give language to this and establish these rules of engagement, this is why I say it comes back to this mutual misunderstanding that yeah. this particular dynamic, she seeks to do the caring thing by by confronting and he seeks to do the honorable thing at times by withdrawing. And and, yeah. and so uh, neither one are wrong. They're just different. And until they understand that, though, it's just the opposite. He feels that she's confronting because she's trying to show him contempt. And she feels that he's hostile toward her when he's just trying to do the honorable thing. And they completely yeah. misunderstand. She's caring, not contemptuous. He's honorable and not hostile. Yeah. Well, this is a good, this is really helpful. I mean, um, and very affirming, but I think uh, I want to take one more break and I want to kind of switch gears when we come back. And uh, I want to talk about the, the pink blue divide and maybe how you're seeing people receive this message um, differently in this new context since you've written the book. I mean, a lot of things have changed, obviously, culturally. And so I'm just kind of, uh, I'm interested to see if you've noticed any difference in the way people receive this how you have to communicate it so that you have to, so that they understand it, you know, those kind of issues um, when we come back from our second break here. It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about it. If you didn't have access to a Bible or were even allowed to have one, this is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my book, Christian Resistance. Simply text THINKING to 71326 to help today. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G. Or visit give.crew.org backslash thinking. Again, that's give.cru.org backslash thinking. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about it. If you didn't have access to a Bible or were even allowed to have one, this is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing a Bible in their own language. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my book, Christian Resistance. 
Simply text THINKING to 71326 to help today. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G. Or visit give.crew.org backslash thinking. Again, that's give.cru.org backslash thinking. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, this is our last segment here with uh, with Emerson. Emerson, thanks so much for being here. This has been great. Uh, I, you know, I will admit I was rereading the book, but rehearsing a lot of these ideas with you has been just fantastic so far. And so um, for this last little bit, I just want to ask you, you know, obviously we've gotten into this sort of cultural mode where um, we talk a lot more about power and relationships. We talk a lot more about, um, you know, is is gender fluid, those kind of things. And so parts of your book talk about, which I think is absolutely right. Um, I'm not challenging the ideas. I'm just wondering if you're seeing this in your ministry. But, you know, we're starting to see like uh, we shouldn't differentiate men and women. We shouldn't uh, we shouldn't assume that um, the you know, that uh, respect in a marriage maybe seems like domineering in a marriage. Um, I tend to see a lot more of those kind of uh ideas popping up um, when I just work with people at church or do ministry out in the world. How is it affecting the way people receive love and respect? How, how do you deal with some of those issues? Um, any, maybe you don't have to, but uh, I'm kind of assuming you do. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, no, I think we see the cultural effect and we see uh, these attitudes that you're giving voice to. It's interesting that I have not been blasted uh there doesn't seem to be that um attack (laughs) there there are voices out there that you know are concerned about things that you know the implication of the message or whatever respecting a man he doesn't deserve that respect he hasn't earned it um my my campaign has always been with people of goodwill like my mom and dad that i talk about the conflicts i said i'm here to help people of goodwill i'm i've got a burden a passion to help people like my mom if somebody had spoken to my mom and dad the way that i'm trying to speak to other people I would not have grown up in the environment that I grew up in. I perhaps wouldn't have mm-hmm. been sent to military school. So I, I spoke to 17,000 students or how many University of Liberty on the wounded healer. I spoke in the convo on the wounded healer. And I talk about this story. So my, my, my preface always has been, here's who I'm trying to serve. If you're not in that camp, you know, but yeah, I mean, there, obviously yeah. we see the difference between biological sex and gender identity. And they, the, yeah. the, the whole, I, you know, having my PhD in family studies, I understand the gender fluidity issue, that there are no gender distinctions. You're not born with any. And I get all of that. But I I am a Christ follower. I, I love Jesus yeah. Christ. And Jesus said, uh, have you not read? He who made them from the beginning made them male and female. Gen- uh, Matthew yeah. 19.4. And he's referencing Genesis. I've, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I was not raised in a Christian home. I didn't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. But when I came to Christ, he changed me, forgave me. So as best I can, I align with him. And, uh, yeah. and, 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 but why? Well, because I believe, <laughs> I believe yeah. he's the Lord of Lords and, and he's revealed truth. And, and so I, I say to people who may be resisting it, even the use of the pink and blue, I get that many women feel you're dismissing. Ultimately, that's going to dismiss women as lesser and weaker. We don't like the pink and blue analogy. We don't like that. And I so said, I get that, but I'm trying to then just use this as a word picture to say, is the person you're married to different from you? And if they're different, yeah. is it, do they need to change to be like you? And there are people who believe that, that I'm the normal one. My spouse is abnormal. And I said, if you send the message, you're the normal one and they're abnormal, come back and talk to me in about two or three years. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, they could be abnormal, 
But that's a whole different issue. But if you're telling them they're abnormal, when they're just trying to do the loving and the respectful thing, and they're really filled with goodwill, come back to me when what you've been doing isn't working. And at that point in time, the people that I serve are the people who are finally waking up saying, you know what? He said to me all along that I was disrespecting him. And I just dismissed that because he hadn't earned the respect. He didn't deserve it. He needed to love me more. I needed to be the one that was respected and loved. Yeah, you can stay on message. But how effective was that? Particularly if he was a goodwilled guy who would literally die for you. And you are continually saying these things. And so my ministry has really been about people who've said, you know what? I think I've got new ears to listen to you now. And uh, yeah. I just want I just want healing in my relationship. I'm not trying to, you know, and I, I think I understand your Emerson. You're not trying to be dogmatic because I always say there are some women in our even our research. Women need more respect in the relationship and the men need more love. And I said, I'm not out to to argue against that. But you're probably still in the crazy cycle, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, well, then still, <laughs> nonetheless, let's figure out ways to bring about a greater harmony between the two of you. So you feel like you're on the same team, that you're enjoying right. each other, that you're friends, and that you're not letting these things derail you so that the, the call of Christ on your life. And in fact, James, I'll say to people, do you believe, particularly the believing community, do you believe that Jesus Christ joined you together? Because Jesus said that joined together, that the two shall become mm-hmm. one, that God joined you together. Do you believe that God joined you together? Almost every couple that I've ever talked to will say in those early days, yes, absolutely. But now yeah. we are questioning it. Well, why? Because <laughs> well, we're having we're having all these conflicts and we 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 must have made a mistake. And then I begin to unpack. I mean, we even when focus on the family spent fifty thousand dollars to survey the long term impact of the love and respect message. Jim Daly and I mm-hmm. were talking about one of the stats that sixty percent of those people who had been divorced or were filing for divorce called off the divorce or reconciled. Now the sample was not large because not that many people are coming, but 60% of those who had divorced, who came for whatever reason, (laughs) the divorce, both divorced, but they came, probably their dad said, you're not getting inheritance money unless both of you come. I don't know how they got there. But then you have (laughs) the the people who had filed for divorce. And it's kind of like, they've said to me, you're our last chance. If this doesn't work, this conference, then we're, we're, we're following through on our final yeah. favor. So I said, whoa, you yeah, just yeah. made me responsible for this marriage. But okay, I'm, I'm game. But 60%, <laughs> James, 60% called off. And they realized, yeah. yes, yes. It, I, it doesn't mean that there wasn't adultery. It doesn't mean that there weren't a lot of evil. But I, I take them back farther. Did it start that way? I said, when Sarah and I met, I didn't say to Sarah, you know, I hate you and you hate me, so let's get married. It doesn't go down that way. It doesn't go down that way. So I say in those initial weeks and months, there was basic goodwill, true or false. Yes. Do you believe you started having conflict due to honest misunderstanding, not due to ill will? Yes. Okay. So then let's go back and see if we can figure out that you both kind of misunderstood each other. And if I can help you understand those earlier days, will you give me a chance? And uh, we've seen the positive results of that. So my message has been to those people. When you hit a wall and you tried everything on your own, it didn't work. um, Please reconsider what I'm saying. And please don't dismiss this message as simplistic by saying, well, we women need respect. Absolutely. I write a whole chapter in the book on women needing honor, esteem and respect. Well, my husband says he needs love. Absolutely. I write a whole chapter on his need for love. I'm not that truncated. I'm not that dumb. Right. No, and I, I think, you know, when I read through your book, I definitely see the balance of it. Um, I just, uh, 
and and I had this, this is the second conversation I've had in, in the last few weeks um, where I, I had Nancy Piercy on. She wrote a book called The Toxic War Against Masculinity. And one of the things she raises in there is the research related to um, men who are uh, attending church, who are more committed to their faith. I, I would almost equate it to what you're saying, these, these people of goodwill. They actually do have better marriages. It's the nominal Christians, the folks who are just sort of taking the pieces of the Bible that they want and using them however they feel like, who are actually having the poorer marriages. And so I just really appreciate your distinction with the people of goodwill, that this needs to be good intention, that this can't be domineering, that this needs to be something that you and you, your wife or your spouse uh, do as a way to love and respect one another and uh, and uh, to really have a flourishing marriage. Um, so, yeah, I love that answer. Uh, really. Appreciate well, and it. I and I would say scripturally, First Corinthians 7, 28. Paul says, if you marry, you have not sinned, but you will have trouble. And so there is a there is <laughs> right. a, a special challenge it, it brings. It doesn't mean there's sin. Yeah. It just means that there will be these and, and, you know, two are better than one in that sense. And so there is a friction that is important to create better decision making. Our whole government is based on the three forms that because they wanted that debate because better decisions are made. Mm-hmm. So that that mm-hmm. trouble is not a bad thing. It can actually be a good thing. But then he goes on yeah. to say in 33 and 34, the husband is concerned about how to please his wife and the wife is concerned about how to please her husband. And that's the basic yeah. text, James, that I use for the goodwill. That's how I interpret yeah. that. Paul Penn Romans, the great the treatise on total depravity. He never denied the fact that we're sinful, that we're in need of a savior, that there's, a, there's an inherent flaw within us. But he didn't say all your problems are due to sin. I mean, you're due to selfishness. He didn't. He didn't. He, in fact, he took it up a notch and said, your husband has basic, a uh, basic desire to please you. He's concerned. And your wife has a basic concern to, to please you. At the end of the day, though, we find that we're not necessarily feeling pleased by the other person. So yeah. we have to then come to a point where we either judge our spouse as having uh, 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 motives that are not good and godly or that they do, but they're just a, approaching this marriage and relationship in the way that God has allowed them to be brought up their gender, their gift mix. I mean, think of a wife who's got the gift of a mercy and he's got the gift of uh, leadership. And how are they going to you know, discipline their children? Yeah. You can tell where he's going to land and where she's going to land. <laughs> even even <laughs> spiritual gifting itself is endowed by God, but that is going to create tension in a marriage. And if we don't discern that and upbringing as well, some are spenders, some are savers, you know, you've got the interest, you've got the, I mean, you, when you start looking all across the board, no wonder we don't have more problems. And so the challenge for us is not to be frightened by that, but to trust this goodwill, which I didn't know how that Mm -hmm. would play in Peoria when I began to preach 1 Corinthians 7, Mm -hmm. 33 and 34, and in translating that into the vernacular, do they have basic goodwill? And I have been blown away, just as you've referenced, how many people surface this by saying, thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, yeah. It's so crucial. I mean, I I think if we we start to assign ill will to the other person, it, it starts to become a battle as opposed to a partnership. And we just sort of begin to lose perspective. And so uh, I think one of the things that I've had to figure out both again in, in sort of marriage and in work is how to cultivate a, a real care and curiosity for what another person is thinking. <laughs> and just to avoid sort of the idea that um, this person is my adversary and 
I've got to figure out some way to subvert them. Um, I think that was my natural tendency, but I've had to sort of really dial that back and say, no, this person is actually expressing something they truly care about. And if I assume good intent and let them prove good intent, maybe this will turn out better. And so uh, I think it's a really important message for uh, not only husbands and wives, but man, for our public discourse, for, um, you know, so many other things that we're dealing with right now. Yes. Well, and I say, you know, and one point I made along that line, that line of thinking, when Sarah comes at me negatively about mm-hmm. something that's upsetting her, my interpretation of that, she's pointing out to me that I'm failing rather mm-hmm. than she's really appealing to me to help her succeed, the relationship succeed, that she's needing the strength yeah. from me. She's needing something. It's a it's a compliment, not a complaint, as I say. And it's very important yeah. that we hear what we think is a complaint as really a compliment that Sarah has a need that only I can meet, but she's coming to me. And my first uh, reaction is she's pointing a finger at me that I'm inadequate, that I'm not succeeding at this, that I'm failing rather than seeing that this is really a need that she has. And the same thing when a man comes to his wife and says, boy, that, I, it's really hard when you diss me, particularly in front of the kids. I feel like you're cutting yeah. me off at the knees. And, and so she's now hearing that you're, you're putting me down. You're telling me that I'm a bad mother, that I'm a bad wife. Or no, could it be that he's just saying, I have a need that only you can meet. And can we renegotiate how we are going to parent? Because I'm vulnerable. And I have a need for your strength because I feel vulnerable during these moments. And once we give that benefit of the doubt that they are needing something from us that only we can meet rather than pointing out to us that we've utterly, absolutely failed to meet the need that they have, uh, it it, it turns things in a little bit of a more positive way. And that that's been very helpful to me in my relationship with Sarah. Well, we, uh, we're about out of time. I, I didn't want to end the program, though, without letting you have a chance to talk a little bit. I know we've talked a lot about the book, but you've really built out uh, a lot more than the book uh, at loveandrespect.com. And so as people have listened to this, maybe they're thinking, hey, I'd really love to get some help with this with my spouse. What are, you know, talk through some of the resources that you've got available for folks that you think they'd be, they'd be good for them to plug into if they're interested in uh, helping to, you know, build their marriage. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I'm more excited now than ever. And on our new website, loveandrespect.com, we just re have done the whole thing, hitting three major topics, marriage, which is what we've been talking about, the Ephesians 533, mm-hmm. which Sarah and I have been doing. But the second major topic is parenting. I got my PhD in family okay. studies, did my dissertation on effective fathering, but I waited to address that until my children were adults so that they mm. could now speak into these issues. So the parenting topic, the good, the bad, and the ugly of that, but uh, we talk a great deal about that <laughs> on the website. And then I pastored for those 20 years. I've got 800 sermons that all have been digitized. And I remember studying many years with, oh man, this is a nugget. I didn't even include that nugget that really affected my heart, but it had nothing to do with the sermon for that Sunday. So I put it sure. in the margins and I said, when I'm older, I'm coming back to that. Well, I'm older and I'm coming back to that. So <laughs> I, we have this whole third component called the faith. And what I've learned over the years as a pastor, things that have been very meaningful. I just did a, uh, uh, we had a thing called Ask Emerson. on what A pastor, what if I misread God's will? What should I do? I mean, that was one of the most common questions asked of me. And, and so uh, I, I share what I did pastorally with people and how that has that content has been very meaningful to me. How do we discern God's unique will? And what if we misread it? And what do we do? That would just be one among hundreds of topics that we're addressing on the website. So 
this is where I'm landing for the next 20 years. I'm more pumped now than ever, more excited now than ever. And if they would check it out and we're even, we're going to be improving it. I'm going to create tracks for the pre-married, the newlywed, what I call the drifters or those with children, those without children, those in midlife crisis. So we're going to have these tracks because there's an overwhelming amount of information, 700 articles, 130 podcasts that have had about three hundred, three and a half million downloads. Uh, we've got the Ask Emerson things. We've got the videos. We've got the courses. The whole Love and Respect course, seminar course, is available. So, But it's too much. So we're trying to take people <laughs> by the hand, take people by the hand yeah. so they don't – because people are going to say, I'm bound to see something that's going to shame me. <laughs> so I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to go close to this thing. You're going to point out somewhere, somehow, that I'm a complete failure. And so I'm hearing you. Well, very cool, Lynn. I, I mean, it's the perils of having too much content. So I, I can't say I sympathize. But um, I have looked at loveandrespect.com, and uh, it really looks fantastic. Um, the new website is is beautiful, and the resources there are just amazing. So I would just encourage uh, anybody who's listening, if you're interested in building your marriage up, if you're interested in making some changes, um, you and your wife, you and your husband, uh, go to loveandrespect.com, and you will find something there, whether it's the book or a video course or even just a podcast or some of the other things that Emerson's doing. I'd encourage you to check him out. And uh, Emerson, again, thanks so much for being here. This has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you and your work and uh, just grateful for your ministry. Oh, no, thank you. Beautiful interview. You did a superb job, A++. <laughs> thanks very much. Well, hey, everybody, we'll catch you on the next episode of Thinking Christian. And uh, we are going to close it out right now. But uh, again, thanks, Emerson. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Just want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Thinking Christian podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. What do you do when the world around you is falling apart? It's amazing to me how many people are breathing air, they're going about their business and doing the things you're supposed to do. But if you really ask them, they know that on the inside, they are spiritually and emotionally and relationally dead. If we're not careful, all of us can experience that death. When what we need to do, even as the world around us is falling apart, we need to learn how to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die. Join me each week on the March or Die show as we discuss that and so much more.